Welcome back to another episode of Making Sense of Money. I am Andrea Pellegrini, one of your hosts. If you missed our last episode on financial education for K through 12, make sure to check it out. We had Tracy Frizzell on from Economic Awareness Council, and we shared a lot of resources for students, teachers, and parents. And I'm Jake Hamilton. Today, we're going to be talking about something that every person has to deal with, taxes. As an upfront disclaimer, we want to stress that we are by no means tax experts, but the purpose of this podcast is to provide you all with some general information about taxes, such as key terms to know and places you can go for help. And I'm Nikki Jancola, the last of your hosts. Today, we also have with us Kelsey Gerber, Associate Director of Financial Aid from Loyola University. Kelsey and I currently are working together on a webinar that focuses on taxes. This podcast, in a way, is a companion to that upcoming webinar on January 27th at noon Central Standard Time. If you're interested, you can register for that webinar at go.uillinois.edu slash getsavvywebinars. It will also be, if you look in the show description, we, the, the link will be listed there as well. Kelsey and I will do our best during this podcast to address some common questions about taxes. Kelsey, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Hi, as Nikki mentioned, my name is Kelsey Gerber and I'm an Associate Director of Financial Aid at Loyola University Chicago. I oversee our financial wellness initiatives, including a one credit course that I teach and taxes are always a really popular topic for our students. Thank you for joining us, Kelsey. Kelsey and I have worked together for several years now, and it's a delight to have you on our podcast today, Kelsey. I'm happy to be here. Yay! We know there are lots of different types of taxes. I know we've talked about it. We hear a lot of questions from our students. What are the differences between federal, state, and local taxes, and what do they pay for? Yes, so each tax is paid to a different type of government in order to pay for services that that particular branch of government provides. So let me start with federal taxes. Federal taxes are collected by the federal government through the Internal Revenue Services, but better known as IRS. These taxes pay for many um, goods and services that the federal government provides. So some of these just, there's lots, but just some examples are Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, defense, veterans programs, unemployment benefits. Some student loans are paid with with some federal taxes, food stamps, child nutrition programs, and more. So what is an example of a federal tax? Probably one of the most popular that you'll see on your paychecks is FICA, which stands for the Federal Insurance Contributions Act. This particular pays for social security. So when you look at your check and you see the FICA line on it, that's how much you're paying into the social, to social security each time you get paid. And Medicare, right? Yes, and Medicare, sorry. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> yes, and Medicare. And then State taxes are in here in Illinois, they're collected by um, the Illinois Department of Revenue. So state taxes pay for things like public state safety. What, is, what does that mean? That's like your Illinois State Police, the Department of Corrections. 
Um, transportation, so roads, bridges, parks and rec. So your local state park is paid through the paid through state taxes. Public employee retirement, different um, care programs for people with mental illnesses or disabilities, education and healthcare, which is also shared with the federal government. So sometimes so your taxes, you're paying federal, you're paying state taxes, but they may be, the money is pooled together for a particular program like healthcare. And then last, local taxes refer to the taxes that you pay to like the city or the town that you live in. So this is things like your local library, your local police department, your local fire department, and your school. So probably the most popular or well-known example of a local tax is your property taxes. Your property taxes will go to fund the school in your neighborhood. Thanks, Nikki. Uh, that was definitely a good breakdown of all the different types of taxes. Does everybody pay taxes? Uh, if not, how do you know how much taxes you need to pay or if you do need to pay taxes? Yeah, Jake, I'll take that one. Um, so if your income is less than the standard deduction, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, you are not required to file a tax return for that year. So for example, the standard deduction for 2020 is $12,400 for a single person under the age of 65 who works as a paid employee at a company. So many students fall into this category and are not required to file taxes, but you may want to consider filing anyway because it's likely that your company withheld taxes from your paycheck. And in that case, you may be entitled to a refund. And if you're unsure about your own situation, it's best to check with a tax professional. So the amount of taxes you pay is calculated off how much you make. There are two terms that are usually used to refer to this, individual gross income and adjusted gross income. But Nikki, can you explain what the difference is between those? All right, so let me start with individual gross income. That is the total someone earns before taxes. So for example, I'm gonna use Jake and I, just because we're, we're public employees and our um, salaries are listed for the public to see. So that number, a lot of times, most of the time is gonna be our total income before any taxes have been taken out. So that's our individual gross income. So then adjusted gross income or AGI that takes your individual gross income and it applies any deductions you may qualify for. So these may be, maybe you have a health savings account deduction. Maybe you're paying alimony and so that gets taken out. Educator expenses, et cetera. And, and Kelsey is, and is gonna talk a little bit about taxes and deductions and stuff um, as we go through this. But do you take your total gross income, apply those and you get your AGI or adjusted gross income. That is the number that you, you owe taxes on for the year or your final taxable income. So you take your, again, just to, to reiterate, you take your original gross income, you apply these deductions and you're left with another number, your adjusted gross income, 
that is what you pay your taxes on for the year. Yeah, I think a good way to think about it is like a lot of people, if maybe not our students that listen to this, but um, like if you get hired at a company and they offer you a starting salary, that's going to be your, you know, your individual gross income. That's not going to be, you're not going to pay taxes on that total amount. But you, Nikki, you did mention the word deductions. Um, Kelsey, could you explain a little bit more what deductions are and, and how they can apply for people? Yeah, so we already mentioned a standard deduction, and that's a set amount that anyone can receive to reduce their taxable income, and so therefore their tax liability. That amount can change from year to year, and it's dependent on your filing status. So for example, single, married, head of household. Um, you may have heard about itemized deductions, such as medical expenses, charitable giving, maybe a home office if you're self-employed. If these expenses work out to be more than your standard deduction, you can choose to itemize instead. And just Kelsey, and I'm not sure if you know this, but do people, the standard deduction, the reason why it's called standard is because that's usually how the majority of people end up filing, correct? Yes, um, yeah, unless you're, if you own a business, you might have a lot of itemized deductions or if you're um, self-employed, uh, if you had a lot of medical expenses or a ton of charitable giving, sure. But I know uh, students especially will keep receipts for $50 that they donated to a nonprofit. You're not going to need that receipt uh, because you likely will just use the standard deduction. As a student filing single, you probably don't have enough itemized deductions to be over that 12,400 for, for 2020. I think it applies probably to a lot of younger people that aren't self-employed, not just students. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've always taken the standard deduction because I've never really qualified otherwise. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think if you were like, possibly if you were making a lot of large purchases that would qualify for deductions and sometimes or credits even, there are cases where you might look at itemizing. But I think if I was in that situation, I'd probably just hire a tax professional and be like, here are all my receipts, figure it out, please. <laughs> yes, exactly. I wrote a book last year and looking into self-publishing, it gets so complicated because then you're basically self-employed. And even if you're published traditionally, you're a contract worker. And so I will just hire someone if that happens. Yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned deductions and we also mentioned tax credits. What are those, Nikki? Tax credits reduces the actual amount of taxes owed. So after you have your gross income, then you take away your deductions and you're left with your adjusted gross income. And that's the number that you're supposed to pay your taxes on. But then there are these tax credits and that applies to that EGI number, which will then lower how much you actually owe. So some popular examples of this are the child tax credit, the earned income tax credit, otherwise known as EITC, and the child independent care credit. Thanks, Nikki. So my next question would be, what's the main difference between a tax credit and a tax deduction? So a tax deduction lowers your taxable income, but a tax credit lowers how much taxes you actually owe. 
So let me give you an example. And I know sometimes examples are hard. I'm a very much a visual person. So bear with me as I read some numbers off. But let's say you make $50,000. That is your individual gross income. And you have a $5,000 tax deduction. Your taxable income is now $45,000. At a 22% tax rate, you would end up paying $9,900 in taxes. So let's look at that same salary. You have your taxable income at $50,000. Your tax rate is still 22%. So you would end up paying $11,000 in taxes. Now you're like, okay, that's more, that's not good. But now you receive a tax credit of $5,000. So you would end up paying $6,000 in taxes as opposed to 9,900. That is a very simplified math to kind of demonstrate. Obviously, when you're filing taxes, it, get, it does get a little bit more confusing between the two. But just to kind of show you the difference, it's about where you're being, where your numbers are being lowered. Thanks, Nikki. And yeah, we all know taxes can get pretty complicated when you actually go to fill them out. But I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, the tax credits and the tax deductions are not one or the other, right? Um, you can have both. Because I know in your example, you Correct. start off with the uh, the deduction and then the second one you said you know you you didn't change there was the adjusted gross income was wasn't changed in the second example but it can be both for a lot of people right correct most people it will be both for the purposes of just trying to see the difference between where the how it where it what step the tax deduction is applied and then at what step the tax credit is was applied that was the purpose of my example but most people will have some sort of, of deduction and tax credit. It just depends on your individual situation. But like Kelsey was saying, most people will have a standard deduction. And then depending on if you get like uh, the earned income tax credit, things like that will be applied after. Gotcha. Thanks for, thanks for clearing that up, Nikki. So there are also things called tax exemptions. Can you talk a little bit about those, Kelsey? Sure. So if you're not claimed on someone else's taxes, like your parents, you can claim yourself as an exemption. And then you can also receive an exemption for each dependent in the household. So this is typically children under the age of 19 or under 24 if they're a full-time student. But you can also uh, include relatives who receive the majority of their financial support from you, whether or not they live in the household, as long as the majority of their financial support is coming from you. They can be included as an exemption as well. And I so claim my to... dog. <laughs> you could not claim your dog, Andrew. I can't claim my dog? I don't yeah. think it works like that. Well, I pay for 100% of our financial costs. <laughs> Much as I would love to include my cats because they can be expensive. Um, human dependence only. <laughs> Somebody should talk to their representative about that. <laughs> this podcast is full of pet owners and we want our voices to be heard Kelsey I just want to follow up about one thing you said you said if you're not claimed on someone else's taxes you can claim yourself as an example as an exemption so if I'm filling out my own taxes that means I could 
like I am an exemption on my own taxes. Yeah, I know it gets kind of confusing, but for example, again, I'm just going to use the example of a student because I work with them all day. <laughs> um, but if you're a student and your parents are paying for tuition and helping you with living expenses, they probably want to claim you on their taxes because they're going to see the greatest benefit by doing that. But if you are fully supporting yourself or you're older than 24 as a student or you're not a student and you're over 19, you are now separate from your parents' household and you're claiming yourself. So in the example of being claimed by your parents and you still want to file to potentially get that refund I talked about earlier, you would file, file your taxes with zero exemptions. You would not claim yourself. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably see this when they go, especially younger people, when they go to fill out their tax form when they're hired, you know, they say you can put down zero or you can put down one. Putting down the zero means you're not claiming yourself. Putting down the one means you are. And that's the only exemption you would claim. And to clarify the uh, where you put that information, exemptions that Jake's talking about would be on the W-4 form you fill out when you complete all your onboarding paperwork with a new employer. Yes, correct. Correct. But something else we wanted to talk about too, uh, Nikki, is that different people can be taxed, taxed at different rates, right? Correct, Jake. So earlier we talked about um, the different types of taxes. So the federal government has the way that they tax and then states have the way that they individually tax. So I'll start with the federal government first. They, this is just for your income tax, not like your total, but so your income tax. And they have what's called a progressive tax system. So that means that households with higher income levels pay a higher rate in taxes. So for example, I looked at the current tax brackets and if you're a single person and you make less than $9,950, you'll pay 10% on your income tax. If you're a single person making $50,000, your rate is 22%. So if you're single and make $90,000, your rate is 24%. So you can see how the more that you make in your income tax, you pay that at a higher rate. For the state, for Illinois, every state is different. So I'm just gonna talk to Illinois since that's where we all are at. <laughs> Illinois has what's called a flat tax system, meaning that no matter what you make in your income taxes, everybody's paying the same rate. So just to reiterate with the progressive tax, you get the benefits of every bracket underneath what you're making as well, right? So that 9,500 kind of first bracket that you're only paying 10%. So on the first $9,500 you're making, you're only paying 10% in income tax. And then anything above that, you pay the higher bracket rate, which is 22%. You're right though, Andrea. Uh, I believe when people talk about a marginal tax rate, that's what they're referring to. So you're only taxed at the rate for that, for how much you've made. So like you said, the first 9,950, you're taxed at 10%. The first, the next $40,950, yeah, that was some quick math. You're taxed at 22% and then 
the $40,000 after that up to 90,000, you're taxed at 24%. And it keeps going up depending on how much you earn. So. Yes. That's why it's a bracket. It's, it, it is a range. I just gave some numbers within there so you could see, but like it is a range of so salary. Even if you make a million dollars a year, the first $9,950 you make that year will only be taxed at 10%. But the last that you make up to a million will be taxed at a much higher rate. I think that's important to specify since that's just a very difficult concept for a lot of people to understand is that if you make more, you're not, you're not going to have everything taxed at that 22% or 24%. All right, let's talk about filing. You ready for this? So typically when you go to file, you'll need to complete a 1040 form and there are different types of 1040 forms. And I know that in the webinar coming up on the 27th, we're gonna go through the different parts of one of those 1040 forms. And today we'll talk a little bit about that, that form or one of the types of 1040 forms. So make sure if you, this will be difficult to follow, I'm sure being a verbal only, audio only <laughs> medium. So make sure to sign up for the webinar at go.uillinois.edu slash get savvy webinars. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. So, I know one of the first questions on the form asks you how you are filing, single, married, filing jointly, married, filing separately, or head of household. Can you briefly talk about these different distinctions, Kelsey? Yeah, of course. So as you mentioned, there are different versions of the 1040, so you do want to make sure that you're using the correct form. But on that form, they're all going to ask, um, as of the last day of the tax year, what was your status? So for 2020, that's December 31st, 2020. So if you were not married and you do not have dependents, you'll file as single. If you're married as of the last day, even if you got married on the last day of the year, you must file as either married filing jointly or married filing separately. And then keep in mind that you could lose eligibility to certain tax credits if you file separately but there are many reasons a couple might decide that that's the best option for their situation. So you do want to look at the pros and cons before deciding um, which way to file if you're married. And then lastly, head of household is used if you are not married and have dependents that require your support. So the biggest example of that is if you're a single parent, you're not married, but you do have dependents, you could file head of household. Thanks, Kelsey. And another tax buzzword that uh, we often hear, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, is dependence. Could you explain a little bit more like what that means and how do you know if you have a dependent or if you are one yourself? Yeah, we've used that word a lot. So we should probably make sure that we define it. A dependent is someone who receives more than half their annual support from a tax filer. So uh, you will not claim yourself on your own taxes if you're claimed on someone else's because you're a dependent. So again, you know, I mentioned if you're under 24 years old as a full-time student, unmarried with no children, your parents provide you with the majority of your financial support, you're likely going to be claimed by them as a dependent. And if you're not a student, the age is 19. So if you're over 19 and not in school, then you could claim yourself. You would not be claimed as a dependent. 
So this past year with the COVID stimulus checks, I know there were some concerns about whether or not that was going to be considered taxable income. Do you know anything about that, Nikki? So I do know a little. So the first thing that I know when the first round came out of the stimulus checks, there was a lot of confusion about if this was going to be considered taxable, taxable income, am I going to have to pay taxes on this check, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Stimulus checks will not be considered taxable income. So you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to pay taxes on that check. However, there were some people who qualified for a stimulus payment, but didn't receive it for whatever reason. I know there some people have problems with the paper check, being mailed the check. Recently in the second round, there was some issues with direct deposits, depending how you filed, et cetera. So for those people, if you qualified, but you did not receive it, you are going to be eligible for a special recovery rebate credit on your taxes when you file. Thank you for clarifying that, Nikki. So we've talked about all these different aspects of taxes. We've talked about individual gross income, adjusted gross income, tax credits, deductions, exemptions, a couple different forms to use like your W-4 for claiming exemptions or 1040 for filing. How do you actually file, Kelsey? Personally, or how does one file? <laughs> I mean, gen like what are the general approaches to tax filing that people might consider? Sure. You know, just to stay with the theme of everything being complicated, there are several ways that you can file. So you want to pick the, the best option for you and what you feel most comfortable with. You can go to the IRS website and file for free, but that's typically only the best option if your taxes are pretty simple and you feel confident that you know what you're doing, which is not me. So uh, another option is you can pay somebody to file your taxes for you. And this is a preferred option by people who are self-employed or have really complicated tax situations because it's, it's hard to know what you don't know in that situation. And so they pay a premium to have somebody make all those decisions for them. And the third option, which is pretty popular and you're probably aware of it is using a computer program like TurboTax, H&R Block, uh, Free File Alliance. Most will charge a fee, but it's typically less than hiring a professional. So that's why this is popular. And the software guides you through filing by asking questions and it explains where you find certain information on your tax forms. So it's kind of like having the help of a professional, but it's cheaper than that option. Yeah, I think many people would probably be familiar with the online filing options. I know I personally use this as well, just because when you do something once a year, it's hard to gain an expertise at it. But when a computer can do it for you, that's nice as well. And actually, someone... Jake, sorry, just real quick, Jake, Jake brought up a really good point. Taxes are very confusing. They're not fun. <laughs> um, but what makes it even more confusing is that we're only doing this once a year. And everything changes year to year. It doesn't ever stay the same. So if you feel overwhelmed and confused by the by this topic, just know you're not alone because it is very confusing and it changes 
So it makes it hard unless this is your profession to be an expert in. Yeah, absolutely. For those people who do need help with their taxes, uh, are there any resources out there other than the filing systems that we just mentioned uh, where they can go to get some help? Sure. So there are some programs that are available that out there. Many of them have um, income restrictions. They're designed to help people in a lower income bracket to, to help them file. So one is called VITA, which is the IRS Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. And you could go there to see if you qualify for their help at irs.treasury.gov forward slash free tax prep. Again, this will be in the show notes. There is a company, not a company or nonprofit, excuse me, in Illinois called Ladder Up. And they also offer free tax assistance around starting usually around this time. I know with COVID, things are going to be a little bit different. So I would definitely check their websites to see what type of help they are offering. Um, I know some are still doing in-person, but some may be willing to do it via Zoom. You know, you just don't know. So Ladder Up, again, is a resource. And then www.getmypaymentil.org. We've talked about this website before on this podcast. They will have tax information. They are also going to have specific information regarding the stimulus payments. So particularly if you're somebody who did not receive a stimulus payment, even though you qualify, make sure you check out that website because there will be more information related to taxes and your stimulus payments as well. And I just wanted to add one more IRS resource for people out there as well uh, that I think is worth mentioning. If if your income is under $72,000 a year, the IRS does have partner websites that offer free filing services. So they partner with websites like H&R Block, TurboTax, and like Kelsey said earlier, typically those services charge a fee. But if you qualify for the IRS free file, because you make under $72,000 a year, you can go to the IRS website and they have links to those websites and their partnerships with them where you can actually file your taxes for free, at least your federal income taxes. It's not always state taxes. You have to take a look at the actual offers, but some of them do offer free state tax filing as well. That's something that sometimes throws off, especially students uh, that are new to tax filing is if they use free file or even sometimes schools will provide specialty tax software, especially for international students, The federal filing is free, but you have to pay to automatically file with the state that you owe taxes to. So paying attention to that fine print and there are workarounds, like if you print your federal taxes, it's sometimes easy to just go to the free online filing system for your state um, and just fill the information in. But sometimes people are done with taxes and they're willing to fork over the money just to be done with them. Personally, I get in that in that mind frame sometimes. So completely understandable, but read that fine print. You know, we yeah. like to tell you to read the fine print. Yeah, and I'll note too, I'll just add one last thing on that. When you, If you do wanna go for the IRS free file option, make sure you go to those links through the IRS. So you're gonna to wanna to go to the IRS website first because sometimes these, these online tax filing services might have, they might advertise for a free 
tax filing system, but as you go through it, there are little charges here and there, and that's not actually the free file that they have partnered with the IRS with. So if you want to check out that option, make sure you go to the IRS website first and then find those links. We'll put it in the show notes. Find the one that's best for you and then click on the link at the IRS website and it'll take you to the right spot where you won't be charged anything. Thank you for clarifying that, Jake. I think that's really important. One other thing I just wanted to mention, since we were just talking about students as well, is that for students, for parents, for people with student loans, your student loan in payment itself isn't necessarily tax deductible, but your student loan interest payments are. So just make sure that's kind of the, the difference between that, but it's just a good thing to keep in mind for students and parents who may not be aware that, that your student loan interest payments are a deduction. So that form where you would get your student loan interest payments from your servicer that you've made payments on is called a 1098E, Student Loan Interest Statement. So you may also get a, if you are currently enrolled as a student, you may also get a 1098T from your school that you're attending that is a tuition statement that will help you see if you qualify for some of those education tax credits that Nikki mentioned earlier. And just to just to be clear, these are things that your student loan servicer or your school should be sending you. You do not have to go somewhere to get these forms. They should come to you. Your school may have it through a portal, for instance, for 1098T and may not mail it to you physically, but you can just double check with your school for that. And sometimes the servicer is only going to send it electronically or make it available in a portal. Because now we have so many methods of delivery for media. All right, so let's talk about deadlines. We all want to know when things are due, especially since last year, they all got messed up. So Kelsey, you want to tell us what is currently planned for deadlines? Yeah, with the caveat that things can always change. So February 1st is an important deadline to keep in mind because that's when your employer has to mail out your W-2 form, um, no later than February 1st. So just be looking for that in the mail or an email notification that it's in a portal um, because you will need that W-2 form if you are an employee, a regular employee through a, a company, you'll need that to show how much you earned, how much was already taxed, all of that. And, and then just, the- Hold on, just let me inter- interrupt for a second. I just wanna emphasize that the employer has until 2-1 to mail it out. That does not mean that you have to receive it by February 1st. Correct. So keep that in mind, cause we know that with COVID, like things at the post office may have been a little slow. So if it comes to February 1st and you don't have it yet, don't panic. But like, if you don't have it by February 7th, maybe call your employer. Yeah, that's a great reminder. Thanks, Nikki. And then the big deadline that everyone's concerned with is your deadline for filing. And that is April 15th. It's almost always April 15th, year to year. Last year, as Andrea mentioned, was uh, a little different because of COVID. But this year, as far as we know right now, it is April 15th. But if there's some reason you can't file before that deadline, you can ask for a six-month extension. So just know that that may be an option for you. 
Thanks so much, Kelsey. Uh, thanks for breaking everything down for us. And thanks for coming on the show today to help with some of the basics of taxes. I knew we just threw a lot of information at our listeners, but we hope it will help you prepare for the upcoming tax season. Since we threw so much at you, remember you can also register for our Tackling Taxes webinar through the Get Savvy, Grow Your Green Stuff webinar series that Kelsey and Nikki will be co-hosting on January 27th at noon Central Standard Time. And again, you can register at go.uillinois.edu slash Get Savvy webinars. It's free and it's open to the public and there'll be lots of opportunities to ask questions with other people like myself, they'll be on to help you kind of get those questions answered or at least get your resources to get your questions answered. So please sign up. Next podcast, we'll be talking about the Illinois College Savings Program, Bright Start and Bright, Bright Directions. We will have two special guests on from the Illinois Treasurer's Office, Fernando Diaz and John Mitchell. Please remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play and to share with your friends. Thanks and talk to you next time.